This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, October 5th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. Many members of Congress want to punish China for how it values its own currency, but there are good reasons to believe that it won't achieve its main goals, that China will retaliate, and that part of the blame can be laid at the feet of big spenders in Washington. Dan Eikenson, Associate Director for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, offers his thoughts. Let's get this out of the way first. Trade is good. Trade's a good thing, yeah. I'm I, I'm in favor of it. Most people should be in favor of it. Policymakers should be in favor of it. They're rhetorically in favor of it. But by trade, many of these policymakers mean only exports. Uh, imports are just as crucial. I mean, exports maybe help on the revenue side of U.S. business, uh, the equation, the profit equation for U.S. businesses. But we also have to look. We also have to look at the cost side, <laughs> and. And imports are the cost side. Imports, uh, free access to imports or better access to imports reduces the cost of production and reduces family operating expenses. Because of the focus on exports, the fact that uh, China's currency has not appreciated as quickly as U.S. policymakers would like, certainly we're in something of a, of a down economy right now, uh, they seek to many members of Congress seek to punish China for failing to do so. What are some problems with that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't think it's driven by this concern about exports. I think it's driven more about a concern put forward by import competing industries and unions. They say, yeah, we need to inc- increase our exports, and China's undervalued currency is an impediment to U.S. sales in China. Uh, and it's a subsidy to, to Chinese sales in the United States. I think most of those who support this legislation uh, or, or who have pushed for it are much more interested in protecting the U.S. market than in opening markets abroad. Um, there's nothing new about the Chinese currency legislation in the sense that you know, eight years ago, Chuck Schumer first sounded an alarm and said, we need to do something about this. And in subsequent Congresses, some form of legislation to uh, to penalize the Chinese or to compel the Chinese to uh, allow faster appreciation of its currency has been introduced. Uh, it's never made it into law, and hopefully this does not make it into law. I think I'm, I'm a little more concerned this time. There there's, seems to be much more support, bipartisan support, for currency legislation this, this go-around. And I attribute that to the fact that Congress has very low approval ratings among the public, 14 percent or so. Uh, most Americans because of a lot of sensation in the media, in my opinion, fear China. Something like 75% are worried about China's economic rise. You put those two trends together, you have a perfect recipe for populist legislation. And so I think that's kind of what what this is, what this represents. Will it do anything? No. It's being put forward as a jobs bill. It's going to create jobs? No way. It will much more likely uh, reduce jobs. And I have sort of a back-of-the-envelope formula for coming for coming up with the calculation there. And, and, and that formula goes like this. There, there are three premises that the supporters of this legislation uh, accept. One, that this legislation is going to prod the Chinese government into allowing faster appreciation of the UN. Two, that faster appreciation of the UN will lead to a reduced bilateral trade deficit. And three, the reduced bilateral trade deficit will uh, lead to U.S. job creation. The problem is each of these uh, contingencies is less than 50-50, really. Okay, we'll take them in turn. Okay. The first one. The, uh, the first one. 
China is unlikely to respond to U.S. legislation by jumping. You know, they're, they're not going to say, oh, I'm so sorry, America, that we haven't been appreciating at the pace you want to, and, and therefore uh, raise, uh, accelerate the rate of appreciation. In fact, China has a domestic political audience uh, to, to impress, and it might uh, demonstrate that it's not responding to the United States by, by stopping currency appreciation. I don't think that would we'll do that for very long. It's not in its interest. China is allowing its currency to appreciate. In fact, it's appreciated by 30 percent since 2005. One check on that appreciation is the fact that China holds hundreds of billions of dollars in U.S. Treasuries, nearly a trillion dollars in U.S. Treasuries, and the impact of a faster appreciation on that would be to devalue that investment. Absolutely. That, that is part of the, the thinking. Uh, the Chinese have a lot of domestic economic concerns as well, and their inflation is on the rise. They recognize that, a, 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 that an appreciating currency will help address inflation. They don't want to do anything precipitously, though, because they're, they're trying to manage. I mean, they're trying to manage the, their economy. They're trying to preserve. It's, it's a matter of self-preservation, I guess, for the Chinese government. But of course, the, there are large holdings of U.S. debt. Uh, is, uh, is, that's another reason that they don't want to appreciate so quickly because it would be devalued. You're right. The second part is uh, the, the the idea that a, a rising uh, that a rising yuan will reduce the the, the bilateral trade deficit uh, is is a theory that is not supported by any evidence. In fact, between 2005 and 2008, when the yuan appreciated by 21 percent. The bilateral trade deficit with China increased by $66 billion, or by one-third. Uh, in the past year, since June of 2010, the UN has appreciated by 7 percent, uh, yet we're uh, on to pace for a one-third larger trade deficit with China in 2011 than we had last year. So the textbooks tell us that there is this relationship between currency values and trade flows. but. The impact is, is hard to discern now because there's so much intermediate goods trade. Uh, in China, for example, 50% uh, of the value of China's exports to the United States is not Chinese value. It is the value from other countries, components produced in other countries. So when the yuan appreciates, the value of all, the, the price of all of those imp imported inputs goes down in yuan terms. So the cost of production in China goes down. And the Chinese exporters can lower their prices for export to preserve market share. And that's exactly what has happened in the past. And proponents of this legislation have just not offered any credible evidence that it's going to be any different this time. So let's assign a 50% probability that what they expect to happen will happen. I think it's much lower, more like 10%. But if we assign a 50% probability there, and we assign a 50% probability that the Chinese will respond to this legislation by allowing faster appreciation, then we move on to the third uh, 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 premise. And that is that a, 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 a reduced bilateral trade deficit will lead to job creation in the United States. There's no evidence of that. If you look through the past 25 years, as there seems to be a, a positive relationship between the trade deficit and employment. When the trade deficit rises, uh, employment goes up in the United States. When the trade deficit falls, as it did during the Great Recession a couple of years ago, we lose jobs in the United States. And part of that is that uh, 
what you're talking about, the intermediate goods sure. coming into the United States, assisting the, with all sorts of manufacturing that the United States does. Yes. The, the, the Economic Policy Institute put out this, this uh, study, and they, they do this, uh, a version of this almost on an annual basis, which gets a lot of attention on the Hill, attributing uh, you know, millions of job losses to, uh, to the trade deficit with China. But, but the methodology employed completely discount. It, it, it only associates job loss with imports, when in fact, you know, 55% of U.S. import value is intermediate goods, capital equipment, the, 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 the purchases of U.S. firms who purchase and then complement those purchases with hiring, uh, with, with hiring workers. So their methodology is completely flawed. Um, I would, again, for a conservative analysis, assign a 50% likelihood uh, that that this that the relationship will return that we'd actually see an increase in jobs as a result of the re- reduced bilateral deficit. I'm I'm being generous to to the, to the protectionists here, uh, and so when you do that and you say 50% that each contingency will will, <clears throat> will take effect, that means the legislation has a 12.5% likelihood of leading to job creation in the United States. Right? 50% times 50% times 50%. Now, let's look at the flip side of the coin. What is this legislation? Is this legislation in any way going to threaten U.S. jobs? If this is a jobs bill, let's think about the jobs. Well, what if China retaliates? We don't need to go through a bunch of uh, iterations and contingencies to get to China retaliating. China's already said it will retaliate if this legislation is passed. China retaliated the last time we took unilateral action by imposing duties on, the, on, on Chinese tires two years ago retaliated against U.S. chicken producers, uh, and that's a huge market. There was lots of job loss in that industry, auto parts as well. So let me just be fair and say maybe the Chinese won't retaliate. So let's say it's 50-50. So if it's 50-50, I'm saying there's a 50% chance that China will retaliate, and that would reduce jobs in the United States. Meanwhile, there's only a 12.5% chance that this legislation will create jobs in the United States. Therefore, uh, the, the, the bill is four times more likely, or 300% more likely, to uh, destroy U.S. jobs than to create them. So let's think about this a little further. Dan Eikenson is Associate Director of the Cato Institute's Center for Trade Policy Studies. You can read more of his work on China, currency, and trade at Cato.org.